so I thought about how to start this sermon, and I had a very creative idea. Man, y'all, I don't even know what to do with you. Like, I, last week I put up Doug from Up, and you do nothing, and, and now I just say I'm going to do something creative, and you, you give me feedback. Who are you? Okay, so... I mean, like, I'm just going to disappoint you. I decided not to do the creative thing. I'm just going to tell you about it. I, yeah, well, next time I will, and I'll go all out. I mean, I'll, I'll, like, I'll build it out and everything. All right, here was my idea. So when I read this passage, the passage we're looking at this, this morning, I just thought of it as a movie scene. So I thought, well, I would set up the movie scene right here on stage. And that might get a little, more com- a little too complex. So I didn't do it. But let me just give you the picture. I had this image of a table, uh, and, and I was going to act like Peter, and I was going to be Peter sitting down at the table, and I was going to be writing this letter to, to, to these Christians that are in this, this particular region of the ancient world, these Christians that are struggling. So I just had this, I just imagined it as a movie scene where the camera is, you know, moving in, zooms in, Peter, he's in angst, writing the letter. I mean, it's gonna, it was a wonderful scene. And then, I imagined as I was picturing this passage, as he's about to write these next two verses in this movie scene, I imagined then a flashback. You know how this happens in movies, where you kind of see the character in this moment, but then it flashes back into the past, and it's this montage, and they put they piece the past together. Usually has some really sentimental song or upbeat song laid over top of it. You can imagine I was going to try to do all this. I had no idea how I was going to do this, but I just had this, ima- this image of this movie scene. Peter, in, in ancient Rome, writing the letter, what, these next two verses, and then a flashback. And I imagined this flashback. I was going to like sit down. I was going to have a synagogue scene right here. It was going to be amazing. Just imagine this flashback to Peter as a child in the synagogue. And he's, he's sitting there with all these other kids and the adults. And they're, they're standing at the front is the rabbi. And the rabbi is taking the scroll and he's, and he's un, undone the scroll and he's reading. And I just had this image of us having, like, as the movie's playing out in this montage with the music behind it, you hear the rabbi reading these key passages of the Hebrew Bible to these little Jewish kids growing up in ancient Palestine. And so, in the movie scene, I can just imagine you have little Peter, and then Peter's like eight, and then you have him like maybe eleven, and you just see him growing up, and he's, he's constantly hearing the Scriptures every Saturday at synagogue. These key passages that tell him and the people who are under the oppression of Rome, they're just hearing these scriptures that keep telling them who they are. And I just imagined in that montage the rabbi reading some particular scriptures. So let me just give you, let's just read through some of what I can imagine the rabbi reading. Again, stay in the scene with me. There's some, I don't know what kind of music needs to be behind this, but it, whatever, whatever music it is, it's the thing that would make you feel the most. So just imagine that. Here it is. I think we would be hearing the rabbi uh, reading Deuteronomy 10.15. Yet the Lord set His affection on your ancestors and loved them, and He chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. 
This is that great passage as the people of God have been rescued out of Egypt, out of slavery. And it's this declaration from Moses saying, God chose you as His people. You didn't choose Him. He chose you. Imagine this little Jewish boy, this little Peter, hearing the rabbi read that Scripture over the years. You are chosen. And then I can imagine reading Psalm 135. Psalm 135, verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be His own. Israel to be His treasured possession. Can you imagine hearing that? As you live in a world being oppressed by a foreign invader, but you're this little kid in synagogue and you're hearing God chose you. He chose your people. And you, you people, you are His chosen possession. So don't you worry, God won't give up on you. I can, I can also imagine in the movie scene, we, we're just cut to the next scene of the rabbi reading the synagogue. Maybe Peter's a little older and the rabbi's reading this. Exodus 19, 3-6. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now if you obey Me fully and you keep My covenant, then out of all nations you will be My treasured possession. Although the whole earth is Mine, you will be for Me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Oh, just imagine that scene. These, these Jewish hearing that the God of the universe who saved them and called them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a treasured possession, this is who they are. Even as Peter goes out during the day, maybe with his dad, learning how to fish, having to deal with the Romans and the fear of oppression and violence, but all along, you have Exodus 19, that great story of how there was a time when God rescued His people from the clutches of slavery. And little Peter grew up hearing that passage in synagogue from the rabbi for years. I also can imagine in that movie scene hearing that great passage out of Isaiah 43. This is that moment where God promises to the Israelites, I have sent you into exile, into Babylonia. But don't you worry. I'm bringing you back. I will bring you back. I will destroy your enemy and I will bring you back in the land. And I can just imagine we have teenage Peter there and we hear, as the music's playing, we hear the rabbi reading Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. You Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians and the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty water, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland because I provide water in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. 
Can you imagine the hope that that would stir up in these Jewish boys and girls, these teenagers, that it stirred up even in Peter as he goes to synagogue Saturday after Saturday as the rabbi takes the scroll and reads and teaches the people. This was a passage that declared God would do a new thing one day. One day they would be brought back. Now, Peter's in the land, but they're under Roman oppression. There is a foreign invader right outside the synagogue. But don't you worry, one day God will finally rescue them. And guess what? It's for the purpose of giving praise back to the God who chose them. It's all for His praise. Ah, Isaiah 43, I'm sure, just stirring in them. And I imagine there's one more. As I'm thinking about the movie scene, we probably have Peter right there on the cusp of adulthood. And it's this, it's this famous passage out of the book of Hosea. Hosea is a really interesting book because God called the prophet to go marry a prostitute so that he could learn what it was like to experience someone being unfaithful to you. Because that's exactly what God's people had done to him. God's people had been unfaithful to him. Just as Hosea's wife will be, a, will be unfaithful to him. And there's this verse, though. You would think all is lost. Because they've become not my people. But there's this verse, Hosea 1.10. I can imagine the rabbi reading this verse and it really making an impact. Particularly since we might be talking about teenage boys and it's talking about a prostitute in the Bible. I'm sure this was stirring all kinds of things in the imaginations of these young, these young men. But this verse probably lodged in the mind of many of them. Hosea 1.10 Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. So one day, God will finally restore all things. So again, that just took many minutes for us to do. But it, as, I, as I direct my fake movie, that would have only taken moments and it would have been this amazing scene and it would, it would have given us all great emotion, but it would have locked in all of our minds these great passages of God choosing His people. A kingdom of priests. A holy nation. A treasured possession. A people who were called not My people, now they're called My people. All of these things swirling in the minds of little Peter as he grew up. And then we come back. Peter wanting to finally say a grand statement to these Christians of who they are. The scene's dark, just a, a flickering light. And, and we can, you can almost imagine all those Scriptures from all of his childhood are swirling in his memory. And he wants to tell these Christians who are struggling in the ancient Roman world, he wants to tell them something that they can lock on to. Something that will give them hope. Something that says, this is who you are. Deuteronomy, Exodus, Hosea, the Psalms, all of it. All of it swirling in the mind of this Peter. This Peter who's now lived many decades. A Peter who now understands things in the light of Christ. But all of it's still swirling there. And then there'd finally be a moment in my movie scene. You can see how this would have been so difficult to finally work out on stage. But there's this moment where you finally zoom in with the camera and you see him start writing. First Peter chapter 2. 
1 Peter chapter 2, pick up with verse 9. Here's what he writes. He writes this. I've got to get there myself, y'all. It was a bit anticlimactic. I lost my bookmark. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says to them, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wow. All the Scriptures, all those years in synagogue, listening to the Hebrew Scriptures, all of it made its way into verse 9 and 10. Now, I don't know if some of you read the news on the Internet, but if you do, if you read articles on the Internet, you know one of the most glorious and annoying things of articles on the Internet is that they will hyperlink in the article. Last week we talked about Doug from Up. There's a famous, famous word associated with Doug. Squirrel. I don't know about you, but all those hyperlinks are just a bunch of squirrels for me. Because there's this really interesting thing they'll reference. And then, you know what there'll be? A hyperlink. And you know what I want to do? Well, I want to know more. I never finished the article. Because I've gone down five rabbit trails. This, these two verses are full of hyperlinks. And so I, I wondered, like, what would that look like if this was a news article? Like, if the Bible, the printed Bible, looked like a news article on the Internet, and you had blue hyperlinks, Everywhere there was a link back into the Old Testament Scriptures. This is what it would look like right here. Like, that's, that's a pretty big squirrel moment. I don't know if you can get through it. But I hope you can see, even now that we've taken this journey through my fake movie, where all those hyperlinks are pointing to. So all I want to do is just for the next couple minutes, I just want to do a quick, just rapid-fire explanation on some of those. I don't even have scriptures on the screen. I'm just We're just going to rattle them off real quick. Because I want to take all of that and drive to this one big point. Alright. So when I look at chosen people, it reminds me of this really big fact that sits in all the Bible. It starts in Genesis 1 where we read that in the beginning there was nothing and then what happened? God said. You didn't create the world. God created the world. You didn't speak first. God spoke first. That's the story of the Bible. Is that God moves first. God's Word that bursts faith in us. Who gave us that Word? God did. You are a chosen people and that is a declaration that God made the first move. It reminds me of Romans 5 where Paul says, you remember this? He says... Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions. And then later he says, but you've been saved by grace. It is God who moves. Interestingly, remember that Paul actually uses the word chosen in the first chapter, verse 2, when he says you've been chosen. So don't ever forget, God moves first. This should be a great comfort to us. 
This next one, this royal priesthood. So a lot of people get focused in on the priesthood part. I want to focus in on the royal piece. Do you know what, do you know, do you know, when we talk about royal, royal things, we're talking about kings and queens. We're talking about people with power. And people with power have responsibility. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve were supposed, were supposed to govern the world. Literally, take care of the world. That's great power. That's a royal power. Interestingly, Paul will eventually say in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, he will say that we, were our, we will reign with Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 6, there's this thing that no one really knows exactly what it means. I mean, exactly what it means. Paul tells the Corinthians, you will judge the angels. I could judge the angels? You really want me judging the angels? Like, you want Mark judging the angels? I, I, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it right there. I know you got something. I just bless your heart for not saying it out loud. Okay? But can you imagine you will judge the angels? You and I, our future destiny is to reign in God's glorious kingdom. And all of that is to give glory to God. But we will reign. We are royal. We have responsibility. And so we have to use that responsibility in the way in the way that it is meant to be used. Okay, so this next thing, a holy nation. You literally are set apart. This is over again in the Bible. There is this, there is this reality that to be a follower in the way of Christ is to, ha- to be an enemy of the world. These two things don't mix. You can't be buddy-buddy with the world, full of greed and anger and violence, and also be full of love and patience and endurance and kindness and gentleness. These two don't mix. We are set apart. And we are a people. A nation. We're a people. I know we're Americans. But more than that, we are a nation made up of people around the world who follow the Lamb of God. Okay? This other one, this special possession. You, you want to know what comes to mind when I think special possession? Now, this isn't in the Bible. This is my commentary on it by way of C.S. Lewis and Dallas Willard. God likes you. God likes you. I, always, I know we talk a lot about God loving you. I think sometimes we just need to hear this. God likes you. He'd actually hang out with you. He'd go to a Braves game with you. And he would celebrate them winning the World Series. It's done. It happened. So I didn't jinx anything. Okay. All right. Let's leave that there. I wouldn't want to go anymore. Here's the point. Because we could keep digging on all of them. Here's the point, And here's the thing I want you to see. So when you zoom out of all that, the big point underneath all of that, we're skipping a slide, Carol. Go to the one that says you are not your own. Go, come over one more. This is the big picture. You are not your own. You are not your own. You belong to someone else. You see all the defining features of who you are in verse 9 and 10? They're all about God. He chose you. He made you a royal priesthood. He's the one that called you out. You are His possession. Like, this isn't about you. You are not your own. Now, Christians over the years, over the centuries, have had different ways of saying this. Now, I want to go backwards to this one, Carol. I've switched the order in my head. Centuries ago, uh, 
the Westminster, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question in that catechism, it's just a, it's just a, this is just a format for training you in the way of Christian doctrine. And this was hundreds of years ago. These many Christian scholars and pastors put this together, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question number one. What is the chief end of man? Like, why were you created? What's your purpose in life? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. There you go. Do you know who's not at the center of the world? Me. You know what the meaning of life is? My happiness. That is not the meaning of life. Is my happiness. I was created to give glory to God. Why? Because He's the happiest being in the universe. You want happiness? Go get with God. You give Him glory, you're going to get everything else thrown in. This is why the, these pastors and scholars so many years ago figured that out because they were just reading the Bible, enjoying Him forever. You enjoy Him. And when you enjoy Him, you get everything else. There actually is. From the Psalms, there is a river of delight in the presence of God. Okay, so, so like, let's take all that and get it on the ground. The application is this. You are not your own. That's the application. Now, why, why, would that, like, why would that be such a difficult thing for you and I to figure out? Because we are living in a world that is saturated with commercials, advertisement, social media, that says the world revolves around me and you. And the number one thing about life is you being happy. That's what they're selling you all the time. You need to be happy. And we're going to sell you a product or an experience so that you can go be happy. We're told that the way to be liberated is to do anything that you feel is right. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, go do what you feel is right. And that's how you can be happy because you are your own person. But in the way of the kingdom of God, you are not your own. I'm going to read a long quote. Now, many of you came in and you probably found a little card um, the reason I'm giving you the card is for multiple reasons. Number one, I didn't want to put this much text on a slide. That's number one. Number two, I want you to be able to take it home. Number three, it has the next step on the back. So it like, serves multiple purposes. If you don't have one, there's a few extra copies. Um, but let's read along. This comes from a book. Let's put that book up on the screen. This comes from a book uh, just recently published. You are not your own, belonging to God in an inhuman world. By Alan Noble. And in the introduction, I've pieced together uh, several excerpts for this long quote. He gets at something I think all of us feel living in modern America. Let me just read along, read along with me here. A defining feature of life in the modern West is our awareness of society's inhumanity and our inability to imagine a way out of it. He goes on to describe things like Violence, senseless killings, overdoses. Just imagine all the things, unemployment, all the things that we struggle with and we go, how do we fix any of this? It seems well beyond anything we can do to fix. This is what he's talking about. He continues, second line down. We weren't made to live like this. And most of us know it. But either we don't care or we don't think we can do anything about it. So the mode that best describes our day-to-day -day experience is survival. Ask an honest parent 
When I read that, I thought, man, this guy's locking in. We're locking in. You've got me. <laughs> Ask an honest parent, student, or employee, and they'll tell you that their goal for the day is to survive. Ever said that? All right. To get through the day, just to make it through. Existence is a thing to be tolerated. Time is a burden to be carried. And while there are moments of joy, nobody seems to actually be flourishing, except on Instagram, which only makes us feel worse. Add Facebook, whatever else, TikTok, I don't, doesn't matter. There are all these other little things that say, man, they're doing so much better. Continue. These ills are grounded in a particular understanding of what it means to be human. We are each our own. We belong to ourselves. This is the fundamental lie of modernity, that we are our own. Until we see this lie for what it is, until we work to uproot it from our culture and replant a conception of human persons as belonging to God and not ourselves, most of our efforts at improving the world will be glorified band-aids. The first question and the answer of the Heidelberg Catechism reads, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong to the body and soul, but belong with body and soul both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I, the reason I bring that whole quote to you is because I, I had a sense that you might feel that. I know I feel that. Plenty of days I just want to make it through the day. But do you know what? Usually those are the days I'm thinking about myself most often. Some of my better days are those days where I'm caring for you or I'm thinking about someone else. You are not your own. Now you could just go biological on this. You literally did nothing to create yourself. Literally. Two other people at some point, somewhere, did something to create you. You did nothing. And for nine months, you did nothing. And even when you came out of the womb, you did nothing of any significance that would have given you life. Someone else gave that to you. And yet we run around and think that our sexuality is all of a sudden ours. We all of a sudden think that our words are ours, that we can use our body however we want. Just at a biological level, you didn't do anything for your life at its beginning. Now you just take that and you add the spiritual and you have the conviction now, the reality that you are not your own. You are not your own. And now when you put the gospel inside of all of this, you, a sinner, did nothing to save yourself. God did through His Son Christ and then the Holy Spirit applied that to you. Praise God for that. Praise God. Now, do you have to respond? Absolutely you have to respond. We just don't sit passively out in the wilderness. No, we move when God moves. You are not your own. This is the big problem we have. Now, how in the world do you fix that problem? I mean, like, honestly. So, like, I bring you a quote like this, and you probably sit there like me going, okay, so what do I do? It all sounds good, but i got to go back to work tomorrow. Like, what, how in the world does this look in my life I think one of the great challenges in our day is that we actually never even think about this. Because we never have to. 
Because at any moment, you can pull out your phone and be distracted. Or at any point at home, you can turn on the TV and have breaking news right in front of your eyes. At any point, you can, you can distract yourself from the fundamental reality of the world that you are not your own. At any point, you and I can be distracted. And we usually stay that way. You've got something to do. You've got to go here. This errand has to be run. We constantly stay busy. And so I actually think that the first step in it, of dealing with any of this is literally just to put in front of our minds that you are not your own. Just literally, like, get the thought in front of your mind. Right now you have it in front of you because I'm in front of you. But in an hour, you'll be eating lunch. How do you keep that in front of your eyes? So I got a suggestion. I got a suggestion. I'm thinking the Bible's going to be important here. You remember that whole montage? I know some of you are, you want to give it some type of award. Listen, there's no award for fake movies, but I know it was really good. I mean, this fake montage we created over here of all that Bible that then got hyperlinked into 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Do remember, the only way he wrote verses 9 and 10 were all those years being steeped in the Scriptures Saturday after Saturday at synagogue. But there's not this magic formula where you take a pill and all of a sudden you have Bible showing up in your mind. No, you have to put it there. And so if you and I want to get to the point where we realize we are not our own, we're going to have to do some work of putting Scripture that gives us that reality in the mind. So we've got to do. And it just so happens, like, I didn't even make any of this up. And the guy who wrote the book, he didn't make it up. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Take a look at this passage. Paul writes this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's just Scripture. When I read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, and all these links back to the Hebrew Scriptures that talk about them being chosen in a kingdom of priests, being a special possession. It is just this massive declaration that you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You are God's. So here's, the, here's what I want to do. Next step, it's simply this. Read 1 Corinthians 6, 9-20 through 20 each day and remember, you are not your own. At least one time a day, put that reality in front of your mind. That, I mean, just start there. I'm not asking us to run a spiritual marathon. So if you're you're at work and you have a smartphone that can put reminders on it, just like have a reminder pop up. And just have it, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, I am not my own, I was bought at a price. That kind of training will literally begin to change the mind. But it will take some effort. It will take some effort. Now, if you want to, you can carry around, like you can carry this around, because right on the back of it is... 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. And if you're on our text messaging service, uh-huh, every day this week, you're going to get an abbreviated version of 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20. It will be abbreviated because I can only use so many characters in a text message through that service. But it will be a reminder, in all caps, you are not your own. You are not your own. And just to be a little creative, it will come to you, those who are on the text messaging service, at 619 in the afternoon 
<laughs> Every day this week. It's 619. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have chosen us. That we are a royal priesthood. We are Your possession. A treasured possession. You have called us out of darkness into Your wonderful light. We who were not a people are now called Your people. We who had no mercy have received mercy. We thank You that we are not our own. You never meant for us to carry the burden of being little gods. You are God. And we are Yours. And so now, would you help us as we work into the week to remember that, at least once a day, that we are not our own. Our feelings are not God. Our desires and physical drives are not God. Our thinking is not God. Our relationships are not God. You are God. All praise goes to you. And so our bodies will be used to give you the glory. Would you help us do that in ordinary life? I mean, literally, Father, while we are getting ready for bed, waking up, making coffee, driving to work, all these ordinary things, we remember that we are yours. And then we just ask, Holy Spirit, use that to actually change us to be people who display the fruit of the Spirit. We're just more gentle, we're more patient, we're more kind, we're more loving, we're more joyful, but we're going to have to lean in on you on that. So now we cover this under the authority of Christ. We are so grateful for you. And together we say, Amen.